This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 204 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Brady. I'm joined by David. And I have to start with a mea culpa. This is not the week Jordan will be back to tell us about his Western travails. He is persona non pata one more time. Uh, but we will get through this, won't we, David? Certainly will get through this. You know, I'd love to hear about the California Christmas travels. I was excited to, you know, see him again. But, you know, what are we going to do? Yeah, apologies if I, I got the audience too excited too early. But next week, Jordan will be back moderating us and keeping us in order. But in the meantime, we'll do it ourselves. This week, still a little bit of football news because we did get a quarterback. We did get roster news, some more transfers, maybe more than we expected coming in under the wire for Georgia State football, getting ready for spring practice. And then it was a one-in-one week all around for basketball. Uh, Men go one-on-one on the road trip. Uh, The women's team split their homestand against ULM and Texas State, and we will get all about those sets of games. But we'll start with the football news. we did not end up having the emergency podcast with Ben that we had previewed a couple of uh, pods ago when we had him on talking about the initial signing class, but Georgia State has got a new quarterback. Zach Gibson, Georgia Tech transfer, will be a part of the Georgia State program from this spring onwards. Uh, it was an important time to get that news because just before he announced he was going to come to Georgia State, McKeeley Colasardo announced he was answering entering the transfer portal, and so as things stand, Georgia State still has three scholarship quarterbacks, one of whom is going to be a senior, and then the two freshmen, Bryson Harrison and Braylon Raglan. It's just a different guy that's swapped in, and so we can attack the whole new set of guys as a whole, but I feel like we should just start where, where we have kind of circled is like, this is the big important thing that we could learn about in this couple of weeks when you can sign guys, and it's a quarterback, and Trent McKnight has got his senior experience guy he wanted to bring in and be the, what we have to call presumptive starter for 2024 Georgia State Panthers. Yeah, I can't imagine a scenario outside of injury where he wouldn't start, you know, and if a guy comes in and beats him in camp, you know, is that an eval question or is that just the guy just, you know, winning a job? You know, we don't know until that situation happens, but like you really do have to go into fall camp assuming that Gibson is going to be the starter. Sorry, not fall camp, spring camp. It's January. Why am I, I mean, so ready to rush? Camps, I don't think we're going to hear Coach Elliott announce a starter for 2024 in spring. So your original non-error stands like it will be a fall camp thing as well like i think up until like the week of the opener because this is what college coaches always do you're going to be hearing about the battle and everyone's getting good reps and it's going to be the first time really in forever it's going to feel like forever that there will be such an open question about quarterback and it's going to make people like oh man just having Darren Granger as like the starter where you had to think about other positions, but quarterback was pretty set for the last couple of years. It's going to be a readjustment. It's going to be weird too. I like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and talk about Gibson's Georgia tech tape because spoiler alert, there's not a ton, a ton. Um, but the one thing that I will say is I like that he has G five experience. You know, he did come out, he went to Georgia tech via Akron Um didn't play a ton there in his three years there. He played what 17 games. 
Um, so he saw some of the field redshirted in his first year. Um, but it's it's nice that you can have a guy come in and be a favorite for the job, but still feel like you can add to the position group and you can be in a good spot. You know, I can't sit here and tell you that Georgia State's quarterback position is definitively going to be good because it's January 9th and we we just don't know. You know, hopefully Gibson learned something at Georgia Tech of all places. Um, but it's it's nice that they brought in a guy with some experience at the collegiate level so you don't feel like, okay, what are we going to do? We really just have the red shirt freshman and then we have some another transfer. Like, what you know, there, there at least seems to be a plan in place. Yeah, so I'll rattle off some of his stats now. Um, he did not play this past season at Georgia Tech. He sat behind Haynes King, who transferred in from Texas A&M and kind of just made that job his own. But in 2022, in some limited time throughout the season, Gibson ended up with a 54.8% completion percentage, 589 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. And Akron, you know, 2020 would kind of the first significant time he played, 57% completion percentage for 784 yards, four touchdowns, five interceptions. Not great. And then you flip to 2021 and in seven games, he had a much better near 70% completion percentage, 1,262 passing yards. 10 touchdowns and zero interceptions. So that's the year that you can point to this. Like you see something there. He's an Alpharetta kid. So shout out Alpharetta, shout out David. Um, He's coming home. He went to Johns Creek high school. Um, This is the part that I have questions about, that I have not mentioned the word rushing or rushing yards or running with the ball at all. Cause if you look at his career numbers, he's got negative career rushing yards. That includes sacks. Obviously, he was not running backwards or anything like that, but it tells you that he wasn't in offenses that were doing what Georgia State was doing, running the ball. And he's an athlete, seen him run some in games, uh, but that is the biggest from like this point to August. Like, if he is the starter, they are not going to suddenly be a air raid throwing at 70% of the time offense. And so, that's going to be the most that I think in the spring game doesn't tell you much, but that's something that people are going to have to look out for. Just like how mobile he is, how comfortable he is making those same type of read option plays that Darren had from when he started in 2021, really like that was never the part of the game that Darren ever had any issues with just picking up with the offense. I don't think it's a concern or, you know, necessarily red flags, but I will say that when I saw that Gibson was the guy, I was a little bit surprised because the profile doesn't really line up just based on the numbers that you see on his stat sheet with what Georgia State has looked at for quarterbacks. But Georgia guy coming home, maybe more athletic than those numbers say. And like you talked about, he's got a lot of experience in college football. And I think it's fair to say that given that he was at Akron, which is one of the harder programs to win at in college football, especially at the FBS level. Uh, And he was at Georgia Tech during the transition with the Jeff Collins era going pretty badly and Brent Key taking over in the middle of the year. Like, I think this will be the best offensive situation he's been a part of because this year, Georgia Tech, really good offense, figured it out. But I don't really think it's fair to say he was as much of a part of that because, you know, he was not the starter at that point. And so I think he's stepping into the best situation he has 
going to have had in his college career. And so that at least bodes well as you're looking to project some of this stuff. And the running aspect is interesting because there's a lot of different ways for Georgia State to still be a good rushing team. I just think we've gotten used to the quarterback either being completely mobile in terms of like uh, Dan Ellington was very mobile, was in the running offense. And then, you know, Darren Granger took that and I mean, he even turned it up to 15, 20, you know, so it certainly is going to be interesting to see what they see in Gibson and what they see in the quarterback room, because you're right. Like, I don't know a single quarterback that Georgia State could ever have that is just a, all right, here we go. We're dropping back 50, 60 times. You know, they're going to be passing I mean, on 70 attempts. Or that whatever. was Nick Arbuckle and that was Connor Manning, but that was like, a whole offensive philosophy ago. Exactly. You know, and I, I don't think, I think Manning was here before Elliot was here. Correct? Yeah. He was the quarterback yeah. miles last season. Yeah. So, you know, you weren't going to necessarily completely flip over the roster in 2016 since the transfer portal wasn't what it is today, you know, so certainly going to be interesting to see that specific aspect of Georgia state's offense, because they're going to run the ball. We know they're going to run the ball, but I mean, even quad could run it a little bit. You know, there are plenty of plays where if you didn't spy him or you just kind of emptied out the middle, he would sit there and burn you for a quick, you know, 15. And I remember joking with you about how ungraceful it looked to a degree. So I'm excited to see. So and I believe these numbers, I, I have to assume these numbers include the sack yardage, his career high. And he's never played more than seven games in the season. So you'd have to project these up a little bit. His career high in rushing attempts, which include sacks is 48. He will hit over that in this offense, just for the sheer number of times there have to be design runs. There have to be times where the quarterback keeps it because they just can't totally redo the offense. And so I have to expect that they think there's something there that they can build on he just might not necessarily be darren granger like he gets a little bit of space and he can take it 70 yards for a touchdown up the middle i guess we'll just have to see it does make me wonder you know just because you want to see young guys start flashing like it isn't the type of guy you bring in that feels like the the set de facto starter no matter what like can with the freshman can braylon raglan make a push in the spring and in the fall um and just be closer to being ready, if nothing else. And it doesn't feel like there were other names banded about. There were other quarterbacks available in the transfer portal that if that was the name they brought in, I would have, you know, we, the entire conversation would be, well, this is the starter, no matter what. And this is a guy that's going to come in and do this and this. There's a little bit of a question here, I think. And it, it will be very, very interesting to follow through spring, but, They've got they're they're in the same spot that they were before the little swap here with Gibson and Colasurdo. And I think it is a bummer because McKeeley has been a great Georgia State Panther and he has waited his time and now he's taking the opportunity to go to the portal and check out his options. But I kind of get it from his point of view. If he does want to still play, he's got one more year to do it. And it seemed like they were bringing guys to visit and that he was not going to be thought of as the starter, but uh, lose a guy that at least he had his moment against Louisiana this year, which you can really safely say without that touchdown that he led the drive on and he scored on, 
they might lose that game because 14 nothing would not have been a safe lead given the way the rest of that game transpired. Yeah, you know, obviously we got to wish McKaylee well um, in whatever he chooses to do next, if he continues to play, if he um, doesn't continue to play. But it, it is a bummer, you know, like I think there were some when after that, I guess, half of football that you could say, um, there were some people that I saw saying that, OK, you know, maybe this will be his chance to win the starter job for next year and really show out if Darren can't go the rest of the season. Um, Obviously Darren was able to go the rest of the season, but you know, it is what it is. This is 2023, 2024 college football. So a lot of guys love to test their options and, you know, find options elsewhere. And to put a cap on the Gibson stuff, I think we said a lot of the same things about McKaylee as this, like, can he be the starter? And then in that appearance against Louisiana, we saw him use his legs. They called him on design runs. He got a rushing touchdown. And so I do have to caveat all by saying like, clearly in 2024 college football quarterbacks, aren't Peyton Manning sitting back there like a statue anymore. And like these guys are athletes and they are mobile. And so just because we haven't seen it doesn't mean we can't see it. And McKeeley getting that little moment and the offense operating like it did under Darren, just with a different quarterback kind of showed that maybe we're all, and, and I'm saying me really are worried about the wrong things here. And it's, it's really not an issue, but uh, we will see that as that goes on uh, the rest of the new names that got brought in Kenyatta Watson, the second who is also from Georgia tech and, both him and Gibson coming makes the opener real interesting. Got a couple of reunions. They're going to be happening. Uh, Watson, his dad is on the staff at Georgia tech and he was at Texas before he went to the flats. Uh, he is a cornerback. They also added Katie McDaniel an edge rusher from UCF. They added linebacker Javen Hall from Marshall. They added Martez thrower, a linebacker from Kentucky and they added Derek Maxey, a safety from Coastal Carolina, who's a freshman who's following Chad Staggs in the same way that you had Corey Warren and Josiah Robinson doing this year. And those moves panned out for those guys. They played in this defense. And so I, it's a guy that you know they, they added Gilmore, Jerron Gilmore last time, slot cornerback maybe, maybe the safety type. Uh, Max is another guy listed at safety. So maybe it's another piece in that little star position that we are kind of speculating who's going to be the starter there in 2024. But uh, there's stats for all these guys at the previous spots, but I think it's fair to say that none of them really tapped into their full potential, did what they wanted to do at their respective schools, but they're all, you know, some from Sunbelt schools, a couple of power conference transfers down. They are all local kids coming back to Georgia state. So I think a host of defensive transfers along with Zach Gibson, that are what a lot of people have been hoping Georgia state could take advantage of in the portal era and bringing guys back home who haven't had a chance to really make a name for themselves at their school, come back in the second leg of their college career to Georgia state and make something happen. Some very interesting, uh, high profile, uh, Interesting high ceiling types brought into this defense. Um, some linebackers and some more secondary guys. So may, obviously they wanted some more uh, cover there than maybe we were anticipating. 
Yeah, I was going to say that everything that you and I said after, you know, the Jaron signing last week when we talked on the podcast, basically immediately was thrown out the next day. (laughs) Um, I'm very curious is the word I will use about their, I guess, need for defensive backs. You know, I think that defensive back by the end of the season was a position of you know, we, I'll say weakness, like teams were torching Georgia State's passing defense. Um, but I also thought that some of the strides with who was here by the end of the season, you could you could kind of plan out a 2024 roster with who we thought was returning and who, I mean, you know, we kind of knew that Brett was leaving. Um, so like we, we had a suspicion just because, you know, that was a talented guy. And, you know, and Ty G. Leach how... is not going to be back. He is exhausted his eligibility. And so you are losing his starter at safety. Correct. You know, I figured that they would hit defensive back in the portal, but I just thought that they were done with it in the first round of, you know, kind of the transfers that we've talked about. Um, so very curious to see where guys line up. Um, I, as far as the other guys that they brought in, the linebackers, the edges, I I know that those Stags defenses at Coastal were really good, and I'm sure that gonna that specific side of Georgia State, the front seven, I have no doubt that it's going to be good again. Yeah, and I think you even back to last fall, Coach Stag was talking about wanting to build out the depth a little bit more on the D line, like. They just need more bodies. And so you've added a couple of guys in like the D-line area, the edge area. There's also high school commit Didi Diablo, which elite name, who was a James Madison commit before uh, Kurt Signetti left for Indiana. Good, you know, guy you get out of high school that a, a staff that you think is pretty good wanted before they went to another place and scholarship math got a little bit different, but adding in that depth there at that spot, uh, you know, if you're losing Shamar McCollum and I think now with, you know, Katie McDaniel coming in from UCF, you've got Kevin Swint who will be back. You've got Ozzy Hoffler who was at Kansas state, throw them in with Chris Davis jr. And like, basically, you know, with the exception of Davis jr, who was a three-star recruit out of high school came and signed here out of high school. That's entirely, almost entirely, the outside linebacker depth, the pass rusher, the edge rusher depth from guys who transferred from power conference places. And I do think that edge is one of those spots where like that pedigree matters. It's like edge and quarterback, I would say are the two spots where if you get guys with that type of pedigree, it matters because with edge rusher, it's the size as well as anything else they bring. And so it definitely intrigues me just that whole outside linebacker rotation now with another addition and adding some linebackers, the thing that maybe we haven't talked nearly enough about uh, is you know, John Trey Hunter has gone to the NFL draft. Jordan Venzial is out of eligibility. So you've got Robinson coming back. You've got Justin Abraham coming back. I feel like you could basically pencil them as the starters right now, and you'd be happy with that. But you lost really good, you know, two really good seniors in that spot. And so continuing to add the depth there definitely makes sense. And I will agree with your general point, though, that, I think we both thought whoever it was going to be, they'd add a quarterback before this window passed, but I wasn't expecting this host of names all at once. I felt like they were holding for the uh, second, you know, for the, the February window for the post portal you know, post spring practice portal window, even 
but they added these guys and they still got a handful of scholarships to do the same. And so it's not a complete picture, but at least for spring practice, this would appear to be the complete picture and got some interesting names in there. We will have to see how they progress through their first spring practice at Georgia State. Do you think that there is a chance that they could grab somebody after the spring game? Yeah, I mean, they're going to they're not going to probably go into the season down, but maybe one or two scholarships that maybe you give a walk on a scholarship here or there. But like, I don't know the exact number. The number is a little bit fishy because we know what the the, the current scholarship uh, situation is, but there might be guys between now and the end of spring practice from Georgia state who leave. And so uh, the long and short of it is they've still got some scholarships to play with uh, and they might have a couple more depending on any of those decisions. And, Certainly, I still think you'd want to add some places. Like, I still think you want to add some offensive linemen, maybe, unless you feel like guys are going to take a step here with positions up for grabs. Um, I still, it wouldn't shock me if they win and got someone who played receiver, maybe a guy with a little bit of experience at receiver played on the outside just because you did lose Robert Lewis. And while there's some talented guys that are still going to be here, you're maybe missing that type of guy uh, that Robert's, Robert was able to provide that type of play the last couple of seasons, but really that they don't have to be, you know, they can be pretty choosy and that's not a bad place to be. Uh, wouldn't totally shock me if another quarterback ended up in the uh, class at some point, whether that's a high school or maybe a transfer type guy, that's got a couple of years of eligibility. Uh, but if that guy wasn't there, I don't think they were going to force it because they know they've still got time. They've got a whole other window to sign players and so we were gonna we're just gonna have to see kind of what the staff is going to do with those extra scholarships when that window opens up when the next national signing day comes we'll leave football to the side for now got two one and one basketball weeks to talk about uh women's basketball team loses to ulm on thursday at home but they turn around and they get the win against Texas State on Saturday. Two and one in conference play, as are the men's team who lose on Thursday. 79-73 in Hattiesburg to Southern Miss, but then flip it around, get their first Sunbelt Road win under Jonas Hayes, 90-76 over South Alabama. Men's team is now 7-7. Seven and seven in 2023-24, and they are 2-1 and one in conference play. They are one off the total of all the wins they accumulated through Sunbelt play three games in. Uh, I feel like we should just go sequentially with this one, um, which is not going to be for great listening to start because it was kind of a rough outing there on uh, Thursday against Southern Miss. Yeah, <laughs> you can go back to what I said last week. I had thought the results of these two games would be flipped. I figured they would do really well against a Southern Miss team that, you know, was showing some problems defending teams. And then I thought that they would admittedly struggle against South Alabama, who I think is still kind of considered in that upper level of the Sun Belt because, you know, once Richie Riley decides, all right, it's time to turn it on, you know, they turn it on and go on some type of run. But I did not see both of those games going the way that they did. You know, Georgia State really struggled against South 
against Southern Miss, not South Miss. Um, they really struggled on Thursday. And, you know, we'll dive in deeper on it, but they really didn't struggle against South Alabama. It was weird. Um, the way that they struggled on Thursday was kind of disappointing. Um, they would have won that game if they just hit their free throws like they had been all year. It was really the first time um, that they did not hit their free throws. Um and it's I know that last week we talked about how good the free throw shooting has been, you know, and, and like the announcers are starting to notice it. They're starting to see, OK, if you foul Georgia State and they're getting to the line a ton, they're going to be hitting their free throws. You know, Georgia State ended up the Southern Miss game shooting 52.4 percent from the line. And I believe their season average is high 70s. If they just had those free throws back. There was a point in the game where Georgia state would have either had the lead by one point at the end there, or would have at least been tied. And that is frustrating because off shooting nights are going to happen. They still scored 73, which is a pretty solid season average, but you can clearly see that this is a team that has, if not fixed the offensive problems from last year, at least been able to push the pace and score at the rim um, in a way that they couldn't last year. And they just could not hit anything from the line. So it was really, really disappointing to see that. Um, yeah, well, it was 78% or north of 78% from the line heading into that game. So it was 26% below their average, which was top 10 heading into that game from the line. And it didn't feel like it was going to matter because – just it felt like they were playing from behind the entire time, and they ended up six of twenty-four from three on the night. Uh, Tanari Lane was three of twelve from three. Lucas Taylor one of five. Jaden Turner one of four. And early, it kind of was the 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 way you didn't want it to play out. With Southern Miss was poor defending the three heading into that game it felt to me a little bit like they were forcing it. And there were a couple of times where you'd have really early threes in the shot clock. And maybe there was a bit of space, but it doesn't mean it was the best look that you could get. And it just felt a little bit like that was, it was in their heads. Like we got to get some threes up. We got, this is a game to kind of get that right. And I think it got them behind in the game and they couldn't really fight back. And, you know, Southern Miss ended up taking as big of a lead as 14 in the second half. And it really never felt until right at the end, the the end game run that Georgia state went on that they had a way back. It just kind of felt like five minutes would pass and the deficit hadn't gone anywhere. Like you'd maybe it got from, 10 to seven, but then you'd look back up a couple minutes later and it was back up to 10. And it was like, it just felt like they were just rolling the ball up or rolling the rock up the hill, like Sisyphus. Like it didn't feel like anything was changing. And then they gave them a shot at the end because they started forcing some turnovers. Uh, They got stops, which they were not getting a ton of consecutive stops through a lot of the game. They started stacking those together and Lucas Taylor had a three that would have cut it to a two point game and it would have really turned you know the screws on Southern Miss, but misses that Southern Miss closes it out from the foul line themselves. And I think ultimately it being a six point loss feels like a, a nice, you know, not entirely indicative because it felt like the game was further out of reach. And I just think the free throws thing just spoke to a lack of, just general focus. It just did not feel like the most engaged, best performance 
the 40 minutes the Georgia State's played. It was, it was one of the poorer ones they've had in the last couple of weeks, and just a tough beat. Um, made a little bit better because Southern Miss went on to beat James Madison by 10 on Saturday, handing the Dukes their first loss of the year, full stop. So I think there was a little bit right after the game of like, oh God, you just lost to a pretty bad Southern Miss team that has been in a real funk and gave Georgia Southern their first win of the year. But Andre Curbelo got a triple-double in this game for Southern Miss. Uh, 13 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists. He was they, really good. I know we talked, I think we talked about him a little bit in the offseason because he transferred from Illinois. I yeah, and say. he had not started immediately because they were waiting out the whole NCAA situation. And clearly he's found a little bit of something, something now that he's gotten a few games under his belt. Yeah, he was really good. But, you know, all that aside, you know, he he played well, you know, he is kind of the guy that has 5 of 19, or 5 of 21 shooting days and you can live with it because he's just spraying the stat sheet and that's kind of how it was. Austin Crowley was good. He had 25 points, was 7 of 12, 3 of 4 from 3. And, you know, you look at the numbers and like Dewan Odom had 14 points, 6 of 9 from the floor. Leslie and Carrie Wom had 12 points, 5 of 8 from the floor. It didn't really feel like offensively Georgia State really had anyone who was really all that locked in and like, controlling things the entire game. And it felt like Southern Miss had a few of those. And then on the other side, just it was kind of the thing you were talking about with the Arkansas State game, which near wasn't nearly the same problem on Saturday against South Alabama, but just like Southern Miss guys were just a step faster, just getting to the spots they wanted to. And it's a bit of an issue. Yeah, it was weird because Southern Miss scored 29 points. So- it was weird because Southern Miss scored 79 points, and I still feel like Georgia State just kind of wasn't there defensively. Like, there were a ton of times when Southern Miss wasn't really doing anything special on offense, and it just, they were, I feel like they didn't shoot as well as it ended up being. Like, they were 45.6 from the floor and 31.6 from three. You know, that's not. None of those numbers are crazy to write home about, and they still put up almost 80 points. It really just felt like they were around the basket, and it just let them kind of put the ball in the hoop by the end. And I know that sounds like just very bare bones basketball analysis, but it didn't feel like, you know, the BYU game, BYU shot Georgia state out of the gym. You know, uh, there have been other games this year where Georgia state has just been slow to rotate and, you know, running around has not been what Georgia state has been able to do. So they couldn't keep in front of guys. And, you know, it was a track meet at the rim. Okay, fine. I don't feel like, Southern Miss did that. You know, it didn't feel like the offense was even performing all that well. And, you know, a lot of the second half, Georgia State would kind of score four points and then Southern Miss would score four points. So Georgia State couldn't ever erase that. I think it was like an eight point deficit for most of the second half. So I I think that's the other thing that kind of makes that game have a bad taste in my mouth is because 
Georgia State didn't really help themselves at the line. You know, the shooting performance specifically from Tanari Lane was pretty bad. Um, but it also didn't feel like Georgia State was out of that game at any point, even when they were down like they were in the second half. Yeah, well, part of it was it was a kind of a tale to have shooting for Southern Miss because they were 6-13 from three in the first half. And it was a lot of good catch and shoot and just – not getting out on shooters and they just got confident. They got some shots to go down. Like I mentioned with Crowley, he was three of four. Uh, they were zero of six from three in the second half. And so went away from it a little bit and just lost that rhythm. Maybe the thing where you don't want to go to halftime because you're going to lose that flow you've got going if you're Southern Miss, but there was never that stretch for Georgia state offensively, really, especially from deep. And uh, yeah, the, the free throws in the, 14 turnovers to seven assists was also just a, a symptom of just just a funky offensive night. And you know, to spell that out fully, Andre Cabrello, triple-double, had 11 assists. Florida State's entire team had seven. So there you go. But then on Saturday, I, we kind of saw the type of performance that really felt like this team is built to win games. If they're going to win, they're going to win like this. And it does come back to, you know, we've talked a lot about, and I've specifically, I know I've talked a lot on here and elsewhere about just shot selection and just Tanari Lane and Lucas Taylor looking too much for the three sometimes and not having a great, I, you know, the times they get into, I've got to put up these shots and I don't think it leads to the best offense sometimes, but on Saturday, Lane was six of twelve from three. Lucas Taylor was three of four from three. He was six and nine from twos. Uh, Taylor had twenty-two points to lead all. Ty Turbo Jones, South Alabama, for leading all scorers. Lane had twenty. And it does go back to like it is kind of what this offense is built around. Like if you go back and look at all the numbers, Lane and Taylor, there has not been a game this season that one of them wasn't the top two shot takers for this team. And in 11 of the 15 games they've played, including the exhibition, that's, they have been the top two shot takers. And that's just how it is. And so it isn't, it's not a team that's suddenly going to have this other primary scoring threat appear. Like Georgia State's efforts hinge on those guys having good nights a lot of the times because they're the ones shooting collectively just under 60% of all of the three pointers this team has shot so far this season, but on Saturday it worked Saturday. They got some to go in early and it felt like they got some confidence and they were scrapping at the defensive end. It felt like the type of game, especially defensively. I know they still gave up 76, but there was more than a three point difference in those two defensive performances, even though they gave up 76 in that game and gave up 79 against Southern miss, like all throughout there was energy. You had, Leslie and Jaden using the size, getting some steals. Jaden ended up with five steals and he had double doubles. He's now had double doubles in all three conference games. And it felt like the exact response you'd want to have seen from how just poor they played on Thursday. And they got a 14 point win on the road, which is not an easy thing to do. It's not. And it's funny because I thought at the beginning of the Saturday game that it, I think Lane or no, sorry, I think Taylor took a 
a bad three. And I was like, oh, here we go again. This is just going to be exactly the same type of game that it was on Thursday. He didn't miss another three that half. And some of them, you know, most of them of the other three that he took were good shots. I think one of them wasn't a good shot. But that that is exactly what you mean. And that's exactly what we're talking about when we talk about shot selection matters so much. You know, if you're going to take a lot of bad shots, you're going to usually have offensive performances like they had on Thursday. But then when you take better shots, when you're taking shots in rhythm and in action, and the offense is actually flowing like I don't care like assists are good I'm not gonna sit here and tell you I don't care about assists because it's not true but the difference between an assist and bad ball movement is a much finer line for this Georgia State team than we want to give credit it seems because they didn't have a ton of assists on either day and one game they scored 90 and the other game they scored 73 so I don't know it's it's very funny how much that shot selection really carries the Tanari lanes, the Lucas Taylors. And it's also funny how the rest of the team kind of takes the cue from that more than they take the cue from Dewan. And when Jermaine comes off the bench, the, when Jermaine comes off the bench and when Brennan Tucker is in there, it's very interesting how the team feeds off of and who they feed off of. Yeah. And the other tricky thing about it is, like Lucas Taylor makes some difficult as hell shots. Like you see some shots and they're like, that's a bad shot. That's a tough shot. He's got an ability to make some of these really high degree of difficulty shots. And so that makes the whole discourse about it even tougher. Cause it's like one of those threes he made against South Alabama. It was like falling away uh, off the dribble, like way back behind the line and he drained it. And so it's like, it is hard to like look at a guy and be like, he can't make shots like that. Cause clearly he can. Um, I think it's just about hitting early shots and getting that rhythm. And there's been times this year, even when they've won games where they've not been all that hot out of the gate. And it felt like, especially offensively, uh, they knew what they were trying to do. They were getting to their spots on Saturday and it, it fed in both ends. And, I think the thing and uh, I think the thing that's been tricky with the defense is we saw in the first game a lot of the high energy stuff from Jaden and Leslie coming out like playing passes uh playing the passing lane trying to get steals and doing it to a great effect in that game. I think that is where Georgia State's lack of size and lack of size options is kind of hurting them because they got Jaden and Leslie out on the perimeter a lot more in this game because South Alabama's bigs were going to be threats from shooting and from three, you know, Keating was taking some threes, Thomas Howell, who didn't actually take any threes in this game, but did a lot when he was at ULM was another guy they had to account for. And the scouting report is maybe a shooter. And I think it almost helped Georgia state because it got Jaden and Leslie out in those positions where they could get into passing lanes again. And it's something that when they've been, playing as more like traditional four or fives because that's the way that they're set up. Sometimes they've kind of been buried in the post and they're having to mostly do their work, just getting offensive rebounds or, or in those cases, getting defensive rebounds. But I think that that is played against Georgia state in some of these situations where those are kind of the guys that are the tone setters defensively. And I think just because 
unless they're doing a lot of switching, they've not been in those situations as much in some of these games. And it's why you look at Georgia state is like a, a bottom 50 in the country in terms of forcing turnovers. But while they didn't force a huge, huge number of them, they only ended up with 12 forced. Uh, they got some key ones and they made some fast break opportunities off of them. And so that was the thing I took defensively from the game on Saturday, because as much as scoring 90 is great, that was the defensive performance they needed to pair with the offense we've seen because you don't want to have to be scoring 90 every game to win because that's just not going to be formula for success every week. I think we've seen that they can do it, but it's not something you want to rely on all the time. I think they showed something with that and it, it was early. and I think it was about coming strong out of the gates. It's something that if they can keep doing that and keep, getting this head start in games, especially as this week, they've got two home games you want to win at home. I think that is going to be, you know, hitting that mentality right out of the locker room, right at the opening tip. Yeah, that's a good point too. They really didn't struggle early with South Alabama. They were able to, you know, see the bottom of the net in the good way and find a way to, gain that confidence and lead that confidence to them having a better second half than they've had in some of the other games. So yeah, starting strong is always important specifically for this team, it seems. And, you know, it's funny as you were talking about the, you know, they've shown that they can score 90 or whatever. I was like, man, this really was the in not, I don't want to say inverse of the Arkansas state game, but it, it was like the, the, a different reality of that game, you know, where the offense is really good and the defense actually is capable of stopping another offense, you know, down the stretch. So they can do it. It's clear that they can do it. I think we had questions after that game because that was the first game in Sunbelt play. Uh, you know, it, we didn't know that they could do it, and clearly they can. Uh, before I leave that, we're saying that uh, Arkansas State might just have a really good offense. Uh, because they have gone on since that loss in Atlanta. They put up 109 at home against Georgia Southern, and they scored 90 again at home against Old Dominion in a win. They went 2-0 this past week. And so I think there was a little bit of a like a, ooh, giving up 90 is not a great look. But Arkansas State might just have a lot of dudes offensively. They can put up a lot of points just like Georgia State does. And so that performance might not mean all that much in the grand scheme of things. But I feel like we painted a picture that this was like a handle, yeah, hand, handy win. You know, they, they took care of business, but it was a three-point game at half, and it really felt for a lot of the game that it was really well-matched teams kind of battling. And you had stretches, runs from Georgia State to take a, a bigger lead. South Alabama scrapped back. But when closing time came down the final few minutes, Lane and Taylor were just hitting everything they needed to. You were getting those hustle plays from guys like Jaden Turner and – they closed it out. They led by as much as 17, and it was a game they led by three at halftime, and they held South Alabama to 42% in the second half, which it's easy to say, yes, you want to hold teams to lower shooting percentages, but like the low 40s is where they've got to start living more for not just halves, but for whole games, because that is really the truth of it is like if you want to look at what's going wrong or what has gone wrong in these losses for Georgia State is that they are giving up too many made baskets and not contesting enough on some of these, you know, when guards are getting penetration. Uh, in this game, they handle the business a lot more. And so hopefully you can build on that. And the other thing hopefully you can build on Edward Namoko, nine and a half minutes. 
stats might not jump out at you when you look at them. He ended up with two points on two free throws. He had five rebounds and he had two blocks, but it was really, really good minutes from sophomore big that we've kind of not seen as much recently. He didn't play against Southern Miss. He played, I think, two minutes or maybe a little over two minutes against Arkansas State. If he can build on that and even get back to what we've seen in a couple of the games earlier in the year where we saw a little bit of those flashes a bit more, that's going to be really important because if you're able to have him play more and trust him out there more in conference season and you get DK Maniel at some point, which I think on the Southern Miss broadcast, they were still quoting maybe a month away from seeing DK, uh, still a ways, like that's a lifetime in this conference season. But you can add those two into the equation. It's a whole different situation where you're able to have legitimately big lineups and maybe even slide Jaden down to playing a, a, a three, you know, being a guard, which is what he actually is. You know, I tweeted this on Saturday. It's like, it's easy to forget that Jaden Turner is a guard because of what he does for Georgia state. But then one of the sequences in this game, he picked the ball up from 70 feet out and just drove all the way to the rim and got a layup. And it's like, Oh yeah, he's a six, five guard that can do stuff like that. We just kind of think of him in a totally different light because he basically came in as a power forward for Georgia State because it's been an undersized, and that's just kind of what they've needed him to do. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I, I was in that boat where I did forget that he was a guard because I was like, man, Georgia State really loves to only have one big on the floor, which, you know, by definition, that is still true when you only have Leslie or Edward and then Turner is on the floor. So, you know, not totally off base saying that, but you're right. Like he is a guard that just happens to play bigger than he actually is. And he plays it surprisingly well. You know, like there are certain plays where you're like, okay, you are definitely undersized and shouldn't be in the paint. And then he's being disruptive, getting a bunch of rebounds and actually helping Georgia State win basketball games so it's it's very interesting to watch and i thought a really good week for leslie you know he had 12 points and seven rebounds against southern miss and then he had 13 points on six seven shooting and again seven rebounds um i mentioned Jaden had a double double in this game they out rebounded both these teams uh i think it's a we've talked about the size thing, but they've been winning the rebound margin in some of these games against teams that have more bigs than them. And so they're finding a way to scrap to those rebounds is a function of that's how Turner is as a rebounder. Like he is always making that extra play. We've talked about Dewan as being kind of an elite rebounder for a guard, especially a point guard of his size. But you see that feed in and you saw a lot of those plays on Saturday. And I think that made the difference for the Panthers getting the win first road win, uh, in some belt play for Jonas Hayes as a head coach. And now the opportunity flips to where you've got Old Dominion coming in on a Thursday. They're in a tough spot because they're 4-11 on the year. Their head coach, Jeff Jones, had a heart attack when they were at their uh, midseason tournament in Hawaii. He has still not been back with the team. Um, it's been an assistant in charge. And you could understand that throws a whole wrench into uh, everything with the basketball team. I can't imagine what that's like for the players going through that, uh, but they've lost their last uh, lost it. They've lost their last four. They gave up 87 to UMass. They gave up 
86 to Troy in a loss. They gave up 90 their last game against Arkansas State. And then the one game that was close in the last set of games is when they blew a huge lead and lost to South Alabama at home that we talked about. Uh, they're still looking for their first conference win. They're at 0-3. Um, certainly, you can't look at that and say that this is just a chalk up. You're going to get a win. But it's a Monarchs team that's certainly going through bigger than basketball issues um, that's affected them. And uh, you face Georgia Southern team that is one, two, three in some belt play like Georgia state has, but they are still just two for two and 13 on the year. Uh, they have struggled specifically defensively a lot. And so with these two games being at home, you've got a real shot at being four and one in some belt play. And given just the entire vibes of all conference season, not only would that be you being already one game better through five games than you all did all of last year, but that's where people would start to really take notice. Like this team is different and the players would have an opportunity to feed off of that. Like, I don't think that there's been any stretch since Rob Lanier left that the team has had like a run of games like that, especially in conference play. Uh, You got to go out there and do it. And these teams aren't going to lay over and certainly you got to be more South Alabama game than Southern Miss game, but this is a part of the schedule that has ended up shaping up pretty well. Georgia state uh, it, with a good opportunity at home here. Yeah. It's really unfortunate about old dominion. Um, won't really get too deep into that one because as you mentioned, they're dealing with stuff bigger than basketball, you know, as far as Georgia state and that connection is related. Georgia state is at home take care of business. Um, But I think the Georgia Southern game is at least interesting because before the Southern Miss win, Georgia Southern looked to be in the toilet, you know, and I, I don't say that to be crude, but they had a really rough go of the non-conference schedule, not just because they lost all of them, but they lost a lot of them pretty badly. Um, There was a couple of close games, but for the most part, it looked like a very uncompetitive basketball team. And through three conference games, they found some footing. You know, they ran into the apparent buzzsaw in Arkansas State, you know, but they still hit 83. They still scored 83 points in that game. They scored 76 against ULM. And it looks like the defense has finally started to round into form for them. So if I was Georgia State, I would make sure that independent of the rivalry, you can't completely throw that away, but Georgia State needs to continue to play their best basketball because the schedule does get harder after Georgia Southern. You know, you kind of slightly mentioned it at the end of the pod last week, but seeding can matter. And the only way for it to not matter is to take care of business when you're facing teams that you either know you're better than or you should be better than. Um, And I think Georgia State, even if you have the absolute worst opinion of what they are and still think they're a terrible three-point shooting team and think they can't defend any of anything in the paint they still should be better than georgia southern you know i know georgia southern can shoot the three ball very well they certainly can but georgia state should be able to take care of business this week at home against georgia southern needs to if nothing else Uh, exactly if nothing else you're right in that like dave i i mentioned they'd really struggled defensively. Uh, They're giving up a hair under 37% from three against D1 teams from three, but they're in the top 100 in three-point shooting themselves. And 
that has been the difference for the games they have won. You know, against Southern Miss at home, they beat them by 21, 88-67. They were 15 to 29 on threes. Southern Miss was 5 of 16. Then you fast forward to their win over ULM at ULM this past Saturday. They were 11 of 28, so 39%. ULM was 4 of 22 from three. You know, that was an eight-point game. So a lot of other things happened. I will not lie to the audience that I did not watch any of that game, but that's the one stat that stands out to you in that game. Like, that's really what matters. Like, it's an eight-point game, and there are more than eight points there in the difference between threes. Uh, So Georgia State's going to have to be on their game. But again, like with Southern Miss, you can't just go up there just looking for it all the time because that's where you get into, you look up and you're shooting 6 of 24 from three, and you force some bad looks up there. Um, ODU's, you say it's balanced just because it's been struggles at both ends of the offensively and defensively. It it feels like this finding maybe the strength of their team, but they're another team like Georgia state that doesn't turn it over a ton. Top 70, uh, 76 in the country in turnover percentage offensively. And so if it's a Georgia state situation where they're not playing the type of energy defensively that they were against South Alabama and it looks more like they did against Arkansas state or like they did against Southern miss, then you let a team who you, you're not ending possessions early. You're letting them settle into the offense. And that is advantage offense when the possession keeps going on and you get more and more time on the ball. And so that'd be the one thing I would circle there. Um, I'm just interested to see how they look coming off of this game because you could tell it meant a lot to Jonas after the fact when they beat South Alabama, but his message even after the game talking to us was we need to show we can do it consistently. Like he was happy with the win, but he knew it's not about playing this way one game. They've got to show they can do it for a stretch of games. And I do think that the schedule is set up that – this is that stretch of games where it won't take, you know, playing their perfect A game to get across the line, but it will take them playing a lot like they did last Saturday. And it would be the real high point in what's been a an unfortunate one and a half years where Georgia State's not winning as much as they have this past decade. And this would be a chance to not only have some daylight with your Sunbelt record, but have a couple of games over 500 with your overall record and really feel like things have ticked up in year two. You know, Because if you aren't taking advantage of this situation, you go to App State and then you have to go to Georgia Southern, which is going to be its own you know, can of worms just because rivalry game on the road. Marshall playing really good defense and have kind of felt like they tapped into something. They're 3-0 in Sunbelt play. That's who you go to after that. And then you play Coastal Carolina. So, like, this is your four-game road trip after you get two at home. If you're four and one going into that road trip, you feel a lot better. Because even if you can get a split there, you hit what's probably your toughest stretch of your season at six and three. And maybe you're at five and four. Maybe you lose three of those four uh, games. But this is your chance to build up some of that room to work with because if if you're three and two or you god forbid you drop both of these you're two and three heading into a four game road trip that's where it starts to creep in that it's feeling a lot like last year and it you lose a real chance to get positive momentum keeping going week after week and get yourself really ready for it's gonna be a tough set of four games and we know how four packs on the road can go badly because we saw it 
last year. Uh, you basically couldn't have drawn up a worse four-game road trip than when Georgia State went to Old Dominion and Marshall uh, and App and um, blanking on who the other one was. I can't believe that's not seared into my memory at this point, but uh, Georgia Southern was the other one, of course. Um, that four-game road trip went about as badly as you could have drawn up, and Georgia State's got a chance to feel really, really good about themselves heading into their version of that this year uh, with these two games at home. While the Sun Belt's mostly gotten rid of you know, the paired schedules and having the men's and the women's teams playing at the same time, and that was the case last week where they're home and road, uh, this week actually Georgia State gets two home stands. You know, the women's team are going to be finishing out their home stand uh, that they started last week with uh, the loss to ULM, 82-65, and the win, 64-55 over Texas State. Uh, they are now 2-1 and one in Sun Belt like the men are. And they are eight and five on the season, and they host Marshall Thursday at eleven a.m. Little early bird basketball there, and then on Saturday they host Appalachian State at two p.m. Before the state Southern rivalry at five, a bit more of a gap there. Uh, it's a night tip for the ODU game for Georgia State on Thursday, so not really a doubleheader. If you're going to both, you're going to have to probably go home in, in between. You might be able to stack the uh, two on Saturday together a little bit better, uh, but. Kind of the same theme with the women. Two more games at home. Chance to, you know, if you win. If we're talking about both these teams being 4-1 and one in conference play through their first five games, which is a, a possibility, although Marshall and App State are going to be challenging games, uh, even with the home, home court advantage there. Um, very different spot than uh, the basketball has been in the last year. Yeah, is, is uh, Georgia State basketball as a collective, you know, is it, is it back on the rise? Is that what's happening? Rising like the Sun Belt? We will have to wait and see. Jordan will be back to host us through it, talk us about, tell us about what happened uh, in the games when they happen. Uh, when we talk about it next week. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.